0: Hello and welcome to Voices in Innovation. I am your host, Johnny Baltusberger for GigaOm. And today we once again throw the ball over to John Collins, who uh, this week has interviewed Troy McAlphin, the CEO and founder of X Matters. They're going to be discussing high-value activity across business and IT, and it should be a fascinating conversation. Enjoy.
1: I'll, I'll let you introduce yourself troy and i'm really interested to know how you how you ended up uh, doing what you do and, uh, the circuitous route that you took to it and uh, and what brought you in, into this space and, and uh what excites
2: you about it absolutely well thanks for having uh, us today john i appreciate it uh my background is i originally started my career with anderson and then at t and in those roles i was working with really large technology organizations and helping them to identify uh, what was then called non-value-added activities, and today is called toil, and helping them to get better and better at automating uh, those things out of their environments. And an observation that I had and continued to have was that uh, the way that technology organizations were harnessing their human assets was really inefficient, especially when it was uh, in relation to interruptions in the different services they had. And so that premise is what led us down the path of uh, starting our first company in this space, which was called Alarm Point, which was around uh, for quite a while, helping on-premise customers. And then most recently, uh, it was X Matters, and that was our cloud-based approach uh, to assisting customers.
1: So it's uh, stop the boring stuff. I I should uh, say... um... Toil actually is an expression I didn't know until I worked in the UK civil service. It, it's got a uh, another meaning, which is time off in lieu, which ah, is exact opposite of uh, of what toil means. So, so if you're ever working for the NHS and someone says, "Oh yeah, but I got toil," and they got a big smile on their face, <laughs> yeah, 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 you'll you'll know why. Yes, uh, so, that's good to know. and I'm really keen to understand how how we tie the. Um, because I, I can see a thousand links, uh, and I, I'm really interested in your take on it. But how we tie this uh, this notion into into the world of DevOps, which is fast, which is agile, which is exciting, which is uh, you know speed is all speed is everything. Um, how, how do you see when you're working with organisations and you're looking at it, maybe more from the operational side of things, that, that that the wheels are a bit wobbly or they're they're starting to fall off? How, how do yeah. you frame the problem?
2: I think um, you know, it goes back to the nexus of why DevOps started. It was an, another evolution uh, coming from how technology was built, produced, and supported. And we can go back a little bit further into the genesis of having agile development coming as a way for us to get uh, pieces of software out to our customers faster and faster. And if I were to go a step further back and say, well, why did we need to do that? It was because there was a recognition that customers wanted to consume Uh, services in a digital fashion and given today and all of the events that our world is going through over the over the last couple of of months um, with people being sheltered in place and interfacing with businesses and one another over digital services we can really see the importance of that digital experience and I think the nexus really started with uh, understanding that the customer interface was changing it was becoming digital and in order to accomplish what the customer wanted we were gonna to have to build and support software differently. Um, I think that was successful for a number of years. And then we realized mm-hmm. that the traditional ways of supporting that software was going to have to change as well, that it couldn't be a waterfall support method where you know the development team threw it over the wall to the operations and support teams uh, to go and support something. Uh, and so I think I personally love the idea of DevOps. It's almost like cell manufacturing that was uh, you know, sort of pioneered by Toyota uh, back in the 80s where you put cross-functional teams together and they work together for the ultimate success of a better product. Um, and ultimately, that's what I, I see DevOps as. It's it's everyone having an equal role and an equal share in the success of the service that they support uh, and ensuring that the customer is going to have an outstanding experience. It all so- sounds good. Uh, yeah. but it's a huge amount of personal change on how things uh, work and, and how people work with one another.
1: And I'm interested because I'm always quite relieved when someone brings up older terms, like, right. <laughs> like because it's like, from the that was, you're like, Oh, from that, the eighties.
2: That's great. Yeah.
1: <laughs> that, that's when I actually had a proper job and, you know, I, I knew what I was talking about or I, I, yeah. I pretended to. Um, and uh, I was a dynamic systems development methodology consultant back mm-hmm. in the day, uh, which yep. I can understand why they changed that term. It's quite a mouthful. But yeah, um, what I'm fascinated about is, I mean, there, there's several, I don't want to get too deep into the philosophy of it, but there's there's several things going on. One is there's some stuff that was always true. Like right. why, if, if it, and then there's the question of, if it was so easy, why aren't we all doing it? Because that, that was 20, 30 years ago. Why aren't we all doing it already? And then the other aspect is, and also what's changed. So now we're talking about different, uh, I mean, you know, throw a few, buzzwords out like Kubernetes and containers on one side and all the, the hybrid multi-cloud on the other side and edge computing. And it, it it's not necessarily true that all we have to do is adopt ancient practices and principles and everything will just work. So when you're working with organizations, what, what do you see as the kind of real compelling uh, challenges that they're facing today in, in, in today's context.
2: Yeah. I, I think oftentimes what you have is still a, um, essentially a change in, um, how, uh, as, as the teams are starting to being melded together and working together in a faster approach than they have in the past and continuing to try to accelerate. One of the side effects of this is that when you have specialization of labor, Um, your developers can focus just on developing and they can be very good at just that. When you start using cross-function teams um, and you have people working on actual defects or incidents that are production related, that context shifting is expensive. Um, It's taking someone out of their frame of mind and out of their thought and they become interrupt driven. So they have to context shift and go deal with incidents. Um, And so, you know, I think is what we're seeing with, companies at different stages of evolution in their approach to the practice of using DevOps is that those that are in the early stages are still really struggling with um, the interruption to uh, the work of some of their higher value talent teams that are not really functional yet in how they're working together. Yes, they have the right titles and right skills, but there may be things like um, how they're compensated, how they're recognized that are keeping them still at each other's throats instead of working with each other for a shared outcome. Um, There's probably a a, um, underappreciation for the cost of toil. And by that, I don't mean time off, which would be awesome, but uh, (laughs) not time off, but- There's lots of appreciation for that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but more just around understanding that the non-value added activities that folks have to do on an interrupt driven perspective are expensive and distracting. Uh, And I think, I I believe that many organizations, especially really large enterprises, are still in the infancy stage. Even though they may have been practicing DevOps for a year or two, I would suggest that they're still practicing. They're not yet uh, experiencing the value that they expected to get by making that transformation. Uh, And many of our customers are still struggling with making that uh, change. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's because of the scale. Uh, and the size of the organizations, how much time it takes to
1: change. And I, I've got two questions that have mm-hmm. both come at once. So I, I'm going to ask the second one, and then I'm going to forget the first one. This always happens. My goodness, <laughs> why, do I, why do I put myself through this every time? But the second question I want to ask is yeah. looking at the world from the ops perspective and, and yeah. from, from, from that side of things. And the first question, can I remember what it was? Yeah, I, I think what, one of the... Things, it's more a point than a question. As an, the, the biggest mistake any analyst can make, uh, as I've learned repeatedly, and boy, have I made a lot of mistakes, is the fact that when you've talked about something for a while, you start assuming that everyone's got it, that they, right. they already do it. And, and DevOps celebrated its 10-year anniversary mm-hmm. this year since the, the, con- the term was coined. That's and as you're saying, some of the concepts go back to the 80s. And so it's an easy thing to go, well, of course, you know, everything's DevOps now, isn't it? We're all digital transformation that, that kind of, we've been talking about that for three years. So surely that's done, you know, we yeah. must be, must be through that way. And actually when, when I speak to organizations, um, the very, very basic concepts that run, that are kind of precursors to DevOps, like continuous integration are still really, really hard. I mean, it, it's not easy to get something that's consistent and, you know, you spin up the flywheel of being able to just develop and develop and develop and deliver and deliver and deliver. So, uh, as I say, it's more of a statement than a question. It, it, it's that very fact that a lot of these things, it's not that the, the organization's slow, it's that the, the very basics are not so basic and we shouldn't just yeah. assume
2: that, 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 that they're all done by now. Totally agree. We, we, have, we conducted a survey uh, in the DevOps area back in November asking respondents um, how often they were releasing software. So back to your, your, you know, that that's a foundation block to be heading down the path of continuous integration and continuous deployment. And, you know, depends on how you want to look at this. You could say, well, half of them said that they're releasing uh, within a week or faster. And celebrate that. Fifty-four percent said that they were celebrating in one week or less, and that's fantastic. Uh, but forty-six percent said they weren't, and many of them were releasing once every three months, once every six months, but still claim to have a DevOps mentality. Um, that and it's, you know, like I said, I think in large enterprises there's a tremendous amount of pressure to to state that yes, of course we're DevOps. We would never be ITIL or IT service management. That's all, you know, things we don't need anymore, and now we're we're cool and hip. Um, but actually making that transformation and getting the value back from what you expect from that transformation takes a lot more time and effort. Some of that's technology related. Some of that's process related. A lot of it is human related.
1: Mm -hmm. Yep. And uh, uh, I, sorry, I, I, I'm off on one now. I'm I'm thinking about this stuff. So (laughs) the um, operational perspective, uh, Mm the, What's I I had conversation, I'm, I'm thinking uh, uh uh I don't know if you know Andy Mann at, at Splunk now. I do uh, he's yeah. ex ex-analyst, uh lovely guy. Uh and um uh we were talking about it being dev ops. Like yeah. kind of uh, a lot of it's about to your point getting you know trying to break down the silo of confusion and getting stopping the over-the-wall mentality. Mm-hmm. Uh but actually there's an awful lot that still happens on the operational side and still when i speak to developer um at developer conferences and to developer groups and, and so on they kind of assume that ops is kind of done um that nothing happens over the wall other than someone catching the stuff um, yeah. and um from your perspective as a you know, um, trying to manage the, the kind of dead time on the other side of the wall um Is it done, is it all, I mean, is the the future all about developers doing things and actually uh, operations is all gonna be automated away or um, is it still, are they both equal citizens, the dev and the ops, and that's not introducing all the other stakeholders as well. Yeah,
2: that's it, I was gonna say, because we're forgetting QA and security and others within our dev queues. It becomes a
1: heck of an acronym.
2: Yeah, 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 right, exactly. Um, You know, I think there is, um, I think the hope is that over time, uh, things that we would consider to be less value-added will continue to uh, either become more automated or simpler to access and use. And I, and if, if we want to use an analogy here, uh, specific to operations, the the we're a SaaS service, so I can speak to it from how X Matters works. I remember the pain and suffering of getting all of our colo facilities up and running, cages established, servers built. Um, You know, infrastructure as a service installed um, all the different layers that we would have to uh, put in place and manage and and deal with when things went wrong. And what we found was for us and when we were looking at our customer impacting events. So an incident that happened that a customer noticed or felt it carries very different weight for us than something that people were able to find and solve beforehand. Seventy five percent of those incidents were coming from our infrastructure stack. And so it became very clear to us that we wanted to make that somebody else's problem. Whether or not it's Amazon or Google or Microsoft, Azure, whichever cloud um, of choice that people look at, um, we realized that outsourcing that to a specialist and, and absolving ourselves of that was going to be a much better way to improve the customer experience. Um, and so we did that. That does not mean that our op- operations problems went away. They just changed. We continued to get better and better. We reduced the number of incidents that were um, customer impacting, but um, operations um, automation became more of a focus, looking at automating the different tasks, getting better and better at understanding our service level uh, interactions. So, you know, from a microservice perspective, how does the application uh, behave? What can you find uh, when it starts to get a little, um, You can instrument at a totally different level because now we have time we're not spending our time on the infrastructure as a service we're spending our time on our microservice management and getting better and better at managing that um, to reduce impacts and increase our uptime Uh, and so i think it's a little dangerous to get too excited about looking at this more like dev and less like the other teams that are involved and making sure that the ultimate service is there and that's you know It's easy to do because a DevOps team generally has, you know, more developers on it than any other function. And I think one of the hopes of DevOps is that you'll be able to push more developer velocity uh, with your teams and less operational drag. Um, And I think that's, that's kind of a dangerous way of looking at it. I think it's ultimately you have to go back to the reason you're doing this is to provide a stable, secure, rapidly changing service that customers enjoy. And that requires uh, you know, multiple um, expertise on the team and each one's equally valuable.
1: Mm-hmm. And that does come down to, you know, full stack engineers and um, uh, right. all, all that kind of stuff. And I, I mean, to me, it, you, you're absolutely, it reminds me of um, uh, uh, I was speaking to a, an, an online holiday company, um, the CTO there, and and he said, we don't want to be known to have the best network engineers in the world. Um, that that's not what we see as our differentiator. So it's not that that goes away. It's just that that's not what they want to have as a, a core part of their business. Yeah. And uh, so if you can outsource it and then if the outsourcing organization, as you say, the colo provider or, or then the cloud provider uh, can make themselves hyper-efficient, then, then well done them, you know, that's right. give them a pat on the back and thank you for reducing our prices. That would be nice. A that's nice right. spin off benefit.
2: Yeah, I had mentioned the survey we, we conducted and one of the responses that I thought was really telling was, so this is a survey of DevOps professionals, 91% of them responded that they understood that their job was providing a superior customer experience. That's a very different response than I think we would have gotten 10 years ago, where the job would have been, oh, it's about my technical expertise or how hard I work or um, the number of incidents that I can squash with a fast mean time to resolve. So that that I think is a very important leading indicator that we all understand why we're doing what we're doing. It's really to ensure that the customer's digital experience is fantastic, uh-huh. um, that it's outpacing our competitors, and that it's not interrupted. Um, I don't know what your experience has been like, but with my three children sheltering in place, um, their digital experience, the time on a digital device, has changed. From you know, we I limit it to a couple of hours, like any other parent would say they do. Um, But, you know, I think it's blossomed to seven or eight hours a day and Mm. it's consuming all of the different applications they're using from uh, Google shared documents to at home and distance learning to trying to, trying to stay connected at some level with their friends uh, and keeping in contact. So that just the consumption of these uh, digital experiences has blossomed so much in the last couple of months. Um, It really, I think is a testament to how much time and um, expertise has been invested in digital services by all of the enterprises that are providing those. Yeah. It's really um, quite amazing, actually, what's been, con- what's being consumed today versus three months ago. Yeah,
1: The, the conspiracy theories, theorists are all over the fact that they planned this. It's uh, yeah. It's, uh, look, look it it's zoomed. almost like it they knew. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it must have been Zoom. It must have been Zoom. And uh, um, uh, yeah, f- full disclosure, um, just the, the, just before the lockdown happened, my, my daughter left and then my son left as well. So um, they've all gone. They went. It's
2: great. Yeah. Well, it's so one quiet. of mine came back. So you got lucky.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and I, I think what's really fascinating about these times is that, you know, I could spend, and I, I used to write business continuity plans for, for mm-hmm. people. And you know I've spent my entire career, it feels like saying, you need a crisis management plan. And then suddenly, Everyone really did need a yep. crisis management plan, and it's fascinating to see how they how they how they are coping and evolving and pivoting to to uh, to deliver on the the new reality that we're certainly going to be in for a, for a while. So, yeah,
2: uh, I I think we've seen um, you know if we go further back, it was a disaster recovery plan, then it was a business continuity plan, and now you're seeing I think that people are focusing on resilience. Mm-hmm. and the ability to horizontally scale. And, and again, I think without the investments in cloud technologies, in the way that we build and support product, uh, in DevOps teams, being able to get to uh, incidents quicker, adjust faster, um, I, I think without that ability, trying to scale services as fast as we have over the last 90 days would have been extremely disruptive. Um, and And I think for the most part, you can see... Uh, which companies invested in that and were prepared for that expansion and had a resiliency plan and were ready to go. And you can see which companies really struggled uh, with trying to to either dust off an old binder to figure out what they were supposed to do or um, just weren't prepared uh, to deal with the changes. There is a human toll, I think, on how hard teams are driving in order to provide that. And I think we'll probably have to see some, you know, kind of resetting back to a, a norm But um, it's been impressive, I think, to see many companies be able to scale that fast and continue to solve problems for their customers. We've certainly uh, seen it with our customer base.
1: mm, I'm going to give you the double whammy, uh, Mm. the, the advisory double whammy, because it's not just about, so if you had the opportunity, how would you change? It's right now, everyone's really struggling. Yeah. and some of those uh, hyperbolic phrases that we might use, you know, disrupt or die, or, et cetera, et cetera, they're, they're no longer a choice thing. Um, but with all your experience, you've you, you founded two different companies, you've worked with lots of companies both before that and and, uh, and with with uh, the, the company that you're working with now. Yeah. How would you, I've not done this before, but given the current situation, mm-hmm given the benefits that people can get from actually being able to do some of this hard stuff around DevOps, continuous delivery, uh, cross-functional teams and so on, where would you start? Sitting in the virtual pub, someone says, Troy, it's too complicated, help me out here. What would you say to them?
2: Yeah, I think uh, one of the challenges you have in this new uh, distributed world is visibility across services and teams. And that is one of the challenges, I think, that a digital services uh, officer or a chief technology officer or chief information officer has, is as you've distributed everything out to all these different teams, and now they're working from home, the visibility uh, that you have into their workload, what they're working on, what their incident load looks like, um, how quickly they can respond, how uh, well and performant are the teams behaving, are you overworking certain teams, I think at this point they've proven the, we can respond quickly to a huge change in volume, either up or down on our digital services. But what we don't know is we're only 90 days into this. And you don't know that, as I said earlier, the toll on the human that you have. And I think while we would all uh, like to believe that robots are flipping all the switches behind the scenes that make all these digital services work, that's not the case. These are uh, intelligent, you know, uh, humans that also uh, you know, need sleep and they need to get out and explore nature and eat good food and those types of things as well. They, they actually need time off and you need to understand how you're using your team. So I, I think one of the challenges that executives are going to have over the next nine months or 12 months is really balancing how do I provide this uninterrupted, expandable digital service to keep my company uh, competing in this highly competitive awkward, highly volatile marketplace, and how do I not uh, overly take advantage of my employees and grind them down? Uh, I think it's a real a real danger to uh, a company going forward that without the visibility into your services, your people, your teams, your DevOps teams, the workloads, et cetera, that it's, it's a real risk and will introduce a new resiliency problem for companies uh, you know, down the road.
1: I guess the upside is that um, maybe I spend too long on LinkedIn, maybe I don't spend long enough, but um, the number of pictures of people on you know, multi-chat, uh, I mean, I, I've i got the big advantage that uh, everyone at Gigarm works from home or works in remote offices, uh, and we have done for years, so it was nothing unusual for us. But the, almost there's a, a thousand tiny epiphanies all represented by lots of faces on a screen, yeah. um and uh, and and that's been a really good thing to see so I, I would hope that people are getting their heads around oh i've got all these people and they're all working with each
2: other and i need to make that continue yeah. there is so. positives I, to be taken i think one of the things to understand for folks over time is that you know the the balancing of a workload the health of a specific service how hard a specific team is working what their velocity and interrupt rates look like All of that has to be looked at over time so you have some view into the performance of the teams so you can balance that workload. Uh, And that's kind of the, you know, it's not just about resolving an incident and resolving it quickly, but it's understanding the true root health of that service and its impact on other services. And having the, the visibility into those different services from an incident response management perspective I think is really important um so that those faces that you're seeing on that zoom room you know continue to have at least half of a smile uh because they'll eventually be a frown and then eventually uh you know you run the risk of losing some of your high uh price talent and some of your best talent because you've just run them into the ground without realizing that's what you Mm -hmm. were
1: doing so it's a it's one big you can't measure you can't manage kind of um situation but this is actually about the events that are are driving the business uh, as represented by their interaction with digital. That's right. Yep. Well, that's great. Uh, I, I think that's, that's a really good note to end on. Um, cool. uh, so thank you. Thank you so much, Troy. It's been, it's been a real pleasure to, to speak to you and um, uh, I've, had some great insights on this and uh, I wish everyone well out there as, as usual, people can find us in the usual way on, on all the different social channels. If anyone's got any questions or comments, then do, do feedback, but it remains for me to say thank you very much, Troy. I look forward to seeing you in real life, maybe sometime in the future.
2: Fantastic. Thanks, John. Thank you for the time and having us here today.
0: I hope you enjoyed that conversation. As always, if you want to find out more about the future of IT, where technology is heading, really for all of your future forward advice on IT in the tech industry, head over to GigaOhm.com where you can buy a single report by John or subscribe to the entire body of research. For GigaOhm, I am John E. and this has been Voices in Innovation. Just listen.